I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and I'm delighted to be joined once again by the brilliant Mr. Mike Stavrou. How was your Easter, sir? How was your weekend? Yeah, really, really good. Really relaxing. Went around to my nan's house. Whole family was there. And of course, the last few years, it's not we've not really been able to do it properly. So, so the fact that... Um, that we could all get together and have a nice subla was good. Uh, but before we get into the football, I just wanted to ask you, does, are you a, a pork subla or are you a lamb guy when it comes to Easter? Ooh. I'll answer it, that. It's, in... it's quite controversial, isn't it? Yeah, it is quite controversial. I'll answer it in just a second. I just want to say that for those of you who are sitting there thinking, why the hell are these lot talking about Easter now? It's because the Orthodox Christian Easter is at a different time because they go by a different calendar, which is why Greek people and any other sort of Orthodox uh, Christians will have been celebrating it this weekend as opposed to the one before. So we haven't lost our minds. You're not watching a podcast from two weeks ago. Um, it's just that the dates slightly differ, and that's why. Um, and a souvla is, of course, a big fat Greek barbecue. Now, back to your question, Mike. Pork or lamb? See, personally, and, and this is controversial, and it sounds a bit crazy because mm. lamb is so much more expensive. But personally, I prefer pork souvla. I do. I, I've got to say, really? there's something about it for me. It, it doesn't... Lamb gives it... A, like, lamb is lovely, right? But I always regret eating it afterwards. I feel really, really heavy after I eat it and really sluggish. So I'm a, I'm a, um, I'm a pork man, but on Easter, I do like a bit of lamb because it feels like lamb is is the Easter thing. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, 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 on a normal weekend, I'd probably pick pork souvla easier to cook, quicker to cook. Doesn't dry out, um, much cheaper as well, but also, um, I just like the taste of it. I really do. But as I say, when it comes to Easter though, got to go back yeah. to the lamb. I'm, 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 I'm team lamb. I'm team lamb all the way, man. All the yeah. way. Yeah, all the way. Every every souvla I would choose because I, I think I grew up having pork and sometimes I'd, I'd go around to my grandparents and if you don't cook it right and you cook it too long, it's a very fine margin and it can go dry. And obviously, because it's just a big chunk of meat, there's no bones in there. Um, if one bit is dry, it can ruin the entire thing. Whereas the, the lamb chops, which, which I tend to get, not, not the neck end. This is getting very technical, but um, <laughs> those the, those lamb chops, the the end bits, like you can cook them as long as you want, and actually, the more you cook it, the more succulent it is. Uh, so for me, that that would be my choice. Yeah. You know what? Let's put a poll um, in in, <laughs> in the chat. Which type of souvla? And I'll put in brackets barbecue. Do you prefer? And then we'll put lamb or pork. See, the other thing that you said about um, the lamb uh, having the bones and all of that, that makes yeah. it a pain in the ass to thread on those huge skewers as well. Yeah, because you true. can so easily sort of go to thread it through, it ricochet off of the bone and then cut your finger. If I told you how many times I've done that over the years, at least with the pork, those big fat chunks, you just run it straight through nice mm. and easy. Um, 
But there we go. Each to their own. We are here to talk about Arsenal. Um, but of course, given that it was barbecue season this weekend, of course, we had to get into that. Let's, you know what? Before we dive into Arsenal, let's take some of your thoughts on this because a lot of you have been commenting uh, in the chat about this. Um, Pavel says, stuff that pork with lamb. Interesting idea. Uh, Tom says, uh, pork souvla is undefeated. Inny says, lamb is a little bit chewy. Pork has that juiciness. Always knew Harry was a foodie. Morning from the States, guys. Dino says, lamb, because I'm a rasta. Um, Graham says, halloumi. Yeah, I, I, I do like a bit of halloumi as well, Graham, but it's a side for me. It's, it can't be the main course. Oh, no, no way. Um, especially not on, not on Easter. Uh, Clem Diggity says, lambs haven't even reached puberty. Mike, you're a savage. Um, John Daly says, I love all the meat. And Afsar says, uh, he's Muslim, so lamb, which is fair enough um, as well. Okay, let's um, let's dive into the Arsenal chat then. And there's loads and loads to get into, even though we've spent five minutes talking about barbecues. But um, so much to discuss, Mike, because Martin Odegaard has been talking today about Erling Haaland's future. And that has made quite a few waves in the media, although I'm not sure there's too much to it. But we're going to discuss the unthinkable, which is what if Erling Haaland could be convinced to come to Arsenal. We're going to be touching on the Richarlison links, which are doing the rounds today. We'll also be touching on Gabriel Jesus, Jesus I should say, uh, because Mike is a big fan of his. Mm. And I want to get Mike's take now that those rumours have resurfaced and seem to be gathering a bit of pace. We'll also be talking about Victor Osimhen of Napoli and what the future holds for William Saliba, who is being linked with a move away again this summer. Let's kick off with the Odegaard stuff. I've titled the episode Agent Odegaard on Haaland's Future. Now, Martin Odegaard sat down with uh, Astro, an Australian broadcaster, and when asked about Haaland's future, he repeatedly said, I don't know, I don't know. But if he comes here, he has to come to us. Is there a tiny little bit of you that believes that if Arsenal really wanted to try and do this, that there is a small possibility we could make this happen? No, but it's nice to dream, Harry. It's nice to dream. And what what I would say is that Odegaard's not just some, you know, standard player in the Norway dressing room. He's the captain, so he's got a lot of standing. The players obviously respect him, and uh, he's a few years older than Haaland as well. So I feel like Haaland will probably be looking up to him and, and looking at him as, a, as, as an example and saying, you know, this guy... Uh, is a top player, top leader. He's revived his career as well. You know, his career was sort of going round and round in circles a bit with all the loan spells, but he's actually managed to establish a, a good career for himself now. He's on the right trajectory. Um, so it's not like it's just anyone um, in the dressing room saying it to him. It's uh, it's, it's Odegaard and someone, someone as I say, who's got standing in that in that situation. So I think there'll be a little bit of pull, but. If you compare us to Man City, I mean, there's just there's there's n there's no hope essentially, especially if we don't get into the Champions League. Haaland is obviously you know already prolific in the Champions League. Why would he want to go and play Europa League football? But that's not to say that Arsenal are not an attractive prospect. I just think it's more for players that are in the bracket below Haaland. I think Haaland obviously is on a huge upwards trajectory um and you know he's he's way at the top already he's, you know it just happens that that he made the move to Dortmund but he could really have the pick of, of any club in the world so why you choose to go to Arsenal I'm not quite sure but you can never say never can you yeah you're right you can never say never and obviously the 
release clause that is talked about with regards to Erling Haaland makes it feel like it's an achievable deal for a lot of clubs to do. What I think sort of reduces the chances of this, and, and I would say normally, so looking at someone like Haaland, who is just 21 years old, I'd say that he might look at somewhere like Arsenal and think, well, this is a, a move I can make and I've still got time to then go and make another move if the project or the sort of development of the club doesn't keep up with the same pace that I want to be at sort of thing. But I think the fact that he went from Salzburg to Dortmund when he could have gone from Salzburg to somebody bigger um, mm. has probably meant or, or probably means that he now won't be willing to take another sort of middle step. He, he wants that big move. And Manchester City, obviously a hugely attractive proposition. The fact that his father played there, as well, and that his father seems to have a real big influence over his career and the decisions he makes um, plays a part as well. Real Madrid linked to um, Bayern Munich are being linked as well uh, with a move for Haaland as well. So I just feel like the competition is is too strong. But I mean, when you look at Arsenal from the outside in, if you can see that we're moving in the right direction, if you do believe in the project, and I think like we do as fans because we watch the team every week and we've seen the way things have changed and the way things have developed. But from the outside, I feel like that Champions League qualification, if we could make it, would be big in sort of showing people that, no, Arsenal are back on the right path and Arsenal are moving in the right direction again. So that, for me, is key. And then I think that opens the door for us to go and make a higher profile of signing. But while we're on the subject of strikers, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on Gabriel Jesus, Mike, because mm. me and you did a pod before this story sort of done the rounds last week. We we talked in detail about how we would spend Arsenal's transfer budget if it were allocated to us. And one of the first players you came up with was Gabriel Jesus. And you gave your reasoning then, but just a, as a bit of a reminder, why is it that you think he'd be such a good fit? And what do you feel now that these rumours are looking like they're gathering pace? Yeah, I mean, it, it was one of the ones I picked out primarily because I think he'd be available at a cut price. And I think if we're going after two strikers, I'm not sure we're going to get a huge marquee striker and then a, a decent backup striker. I think somewhere along the line, we're going to have to try and uh, try and compromise on, on one or the other. And, you know, Gabriel Jesus, I think he's got a couple of years left on, on his contract. Um, he's 25 years old. Um, and for me, he just ticks the boxes. I think we'll be able to probably get him for a fee in the region of maybe 30, 30 million, 35, 40 max, which if you look at the standard of player that he is, I think that's pretty decent. And when you look at the fees we've been quoted for for players just recently, I think Isak, they wanted 74 million, his, his release calls in January. Uh, Vlavic, they wanted a similar amount to that. And these are players that, that don't have the Premier League experience that Jesus has yes I admit they they might have a higher higher ceiling but again that's a bit of a gamble and that's only looking at potential so yeah the reason I like Jesus is because you know I was doing a bit of research into him yesterday actually for a story I was writing and um back first when he signed for for Man City in 2017 from Palmeiras uh in Brazil Edu was talking about him, uh, funnily enough, because I think that was when Edu was involved in the in the Brazil setup. And he was saying, you know, this is a player, he's a professional, he's a hard worker, um, and I back him to be a success in the Premier League. And it turns out that prediction has has come true. I think he's been a he's been a success. I wouldn't say he's, you know, blown everyone away, but you look at his goal record, I think he's got 93 goals. 
um, and and loads of assists as well. He he, he contributes to, to the all round play. He's good at pressing. Uh, he's a good team player. He can fill in, in in multiple positions. As well as that, he's he's got experience of being a winner. If if City win the league this season, he'd have won four Premier League titles. Um, and you can't say that that our our team boasts any title winners at, at the moment. So that's a that that's a huge benefit. He's won loads of domestic cups as well. So you know, on on paper, he is a winner, and he bring that winning mentality. Um, as I say, Premier League proven, score goals in, in, in the Premier League and knows Mikel Arteta. I think Arteta would know what to do with him. He'd know how he trains. Um, it was interesting listening to Guardiola as well over the weekend because obviously he scored four goals, didn't he? And everyone was like, oh my God, where's Jesus been? Um, and yes, it was against Watford, but you, you heard what Pep said after the game and he was like, you know, Jesus is the kind of player where he, he might not play for weeks, but then he... He, he comes into training and it's like it's like it's his it's his last ever day and he just puts everything in there he gives, gives absolutely everything and I think that's a bit of what we need um and I think if we can get the the deal right it it sounds as if if reports are to be believed that he's keen on coming so all round it could just be a, a sort of easy deal to to complete Harry yeah and I, I've been banging the Darwin Nunez drum and I can see that Benny in the chat um, is, is a big fan of his as well and, and would like to see him arrive at the football club. But when you read some of the reports that are doing the rounds at the moment with regards to Darwin Nunez and the price that Benfica are looking for, um, you start to wonder if if it would be better to go down sort of the route of somebody like Gabriel Jesus, who, as you say, Mikel Arteta will know inside out and will know exactly what he's like behind the scenes. And, and that will contribute to any decision that Arsenal make. But Darwin Nunez is being uh, sort of touted at around about 80 plus million euros. And um, and I said that I felt that he was attainable for about 50 million. Uh, and if, if, I th- if, if we could do that, if we could do that deal for about 50 million pounds, then I still think that that's a worthwhile deal to do. But can we? I don't know. We know that there are other clubs circling Darwin Nunez. It doesn't feel at the moment as though there's a lot of clubs sort of with their ear to the ground with regards to Jesus. And, you know, I think Mikel Arteta has has got things wrong since he's been the Arsenal manager. There's no question about that. I think some of his decisions have led to a lot of raised eyebrows and a lot of us have stepped back and gone, not sure why he did this or not sure why you necessarily did that. But I think what he has done, and it's undeniable, is brought in the right type of characters to the team whilst removing the wrong types of characters. And if he feels like Jesus is a good fit, then you have to kind of trust in him that it's because he knows what he's talking about with the player. Like, we don't see him in training every day. And, you know, we are not in the position a Man City fan might be in, for example, to give you the rundown on him. Because we've we've never, I don't think, anyway, I've not looked at Jesus ever with that lens of he might be a, an Arsenal man until now. And um, as you say, four goals at the weekend against Watford. You've got to take that with a pinch of salt. But he is um, he is someone who excites me. And I think if the price is right, we, uh, we that's a deal that we should be looking to do. Do you think that we need two strikers, Mike? Because that's another thing. Would you rather that we went out and bought a Gabriel Jesus and somebody else? Or would you rather we went really big and just bought the one in? Two. Two, definitely two. Because for me... Um... Lacazette talking about his future a few weeks ago. Sounds like he's already gone to me. I don't really see a way that that they can work that to get him in. 
I think we spoke about, you know, on an ideal world, we'd get him on a one-year contract. But the the age that he's at, he's probably not going to want that. He's going to want the guarantee of first-team football. Um, and he's, well, he says he wants Champions League. How deserving he is of that, Harry, that is very much up for debate. But yeah, that's what he wants. Sure. So, so fair enough. Eddie... There's there's a lot of clamour at the moment for Eddie to be given an, a new contract because of you know he's coming to the team and done quite well. He's got a brace versus Chelsea, but my stance on him is unchanged. I feel like if we want to involve as a team, we need to move on from Eddie. I just think he's not quite the the right player for us. I think he's shown that he can be useful in in some games and he's got a lot of energy and 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 a lot of desire and he's got a nose for goal. But I think if we want to try and move our football onto the next level, we need someone that that fits the the playing style a little bit more. Because we've seen Eddie so many times this season and just failed to make an impact off the bench. And ultimately, he's just been thrown on with like five or ten minutes ago. I know that's not the easiest situation, but ultimately, I don't think he's the answer. So if we're going on that basis, we're, we're getting rid of two strikers. So, of course, we need two in. Um, Gabriel Jesus for me should be the the one. Um, a lot of people saying Victor Osimhen as well as as a another striker, but he's probably going to cost you about seventy eighty million. So we're talking about that bracket of of players that seem a little bit unattainable right now, considering how much work we have to do in the summer. Um, so for me, Jesus and one more. I'm not really sure what the one more should be. Whether you sort of go for someone that's a bit of a different option, um, an experienced striker, because Jesus, I'd still put him in the category of like youngish strikers. because He's only just turned 25. So I, I wouldn't say that he's your like, he's your met, he's your like senior experienced striker. I'd say he's someone who's sort of like on the way, but not quite the, the absolute finished product. So I'm not sure whether we go for someone, I'm not saying Olivier Giroud, but I'm saying someone of that ilk around that 29 30 age, obviously a bit younger than Giroud, but someone who offers like a different option, like can offer a bit of hold-up player. I'm not sure if we go for someone a bit younger. Um, I don't know. Yeah, what's what's your take on that? Just say if Jesus was the guy or someone like Jesus around 25, 20, 23, 24, what would then be your choice for a backup? I'd like to see someone who gives us something different tactically. I'd like to see someone who gives us more of a presence in the penalty area from a physical standpoint, who can hold the ball up a little bit better, who obviously you'd love them to be sort of mobile and able to run in behind as well, but you're not going to get everything. So um, Giroud is a good example of someone who gives you something completely different to what most other strikers do. I want someone that when we need a goal with 10 minutes to go, we can bring them on and we can be that little bit more direct. Now, it's not to say I don't enjoy Arteta ball when it's at its peak because it's brilliant, but it's not always going to be um, at its best. It's not always going to click. It's not always going to work. So I think that when you build out a squad, you need to be flexible. You need to have alternatives. So I want to see two strikers come in that offer something a little bit different to one another. A few people in the chat have mentioned Balogun. For me, and I and tell me if I'm being harsh, Mike, Balogun right now in his current state does not even come into my thinking when looking at the future and strikers. And what I mean by that is I'm sort of discounting him at this moment in time as someone who still has to show me that he can offer something at this level. He's gone on loan in the championship. He's done okay. Um, you know, fine. 
But I, I, I want a couple of strikers that I can call upon that I feel are really going to offer us something. So am I harsh to not even consider Balogun in my thinking at this point? No, I don't think he's shown enough. I think when he did get his chances in the Premier League, he... Yeah, I mean, I, again, I'm not trying to be horrible to him, but I think he's nowhere near it. Like, nowhere near it. Like, against against Brentford, I know it was a really difficult situation because you had you had Lacazette and you had Aubameyang out. It was the first day of the season, a load of pressure, and he probably wasn't expecting to play. But I just think the ball was bouncing off him. He didn't have the touch. He didn't offer any threat going forward. Um, he wasn't really, like causing defenders problems um and then a few more games when he when he came on and, and in the cup I think he played as well I just never really saw it with him uh in the first team and that's not to say that he he won't you know become he won't get to that level I just think he's he's not ready for me he needs a Premier League loan he can go and play in the championship as as long as he wants but I don't think that's really going to benefit him if we want to play him as our striker I think he needs to go to a a team like, I don't think Brighton wouldn't take him, but a team like Brighton, basically, or a team like Crystal Palace, someone like that who's going to give him a chance, who plays like good football, you know, intense football, and, you know, with a focus on on build-up play and not just, um, you know, dropping back. And I think that would be the ideal scenario for, for Balogun. I think he's got all the all the ability to do it. It's just whether, whether he can sort of wrap his head around it and, and really understand because... I think one of the most important things under Arteta is the uh, is 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 the tactical instructions and taking that on and taking that on board because we saw with Martinelli there was there was a period where we were talking about you know what's going on with Martinelli he's he's not playing um, and it turned out all he really needed to do was just understand the the role that he had in the team stop trying to do too much and you know do everything yourself you you have a specific role. You can still have have your you know own expression in a way, but you have to fulfil um, what the manager wants of you. And I think he's taken that on. And then it's time for Balogun to do that. But I just think now is not quite the right time for him. What's your thoughts on Richarlison, who's been linked with a move to Arsenal today as well? Um, a player who Jamie Carragher was clearly quite unhappy with at the weekend. Yeah. Um, but a player who I don't really know what to make of him, to be honest. That. There's times where I look at him and I think this guy is a handful and he's robust and he works hard and he's got a lot of quality and a lot of ability and he's just a nuisance. And I love having players like that on my team. I hate playing against them, but obviously being on our side, it's great. But then every now and again, I sort of see something from Richarlison where I think, I don't know if I do want you. I don't know if um, you'd be a good fit at the Arsenal. Now, just because he can be a little bit petulant when he's on the pitch, it doesn't mean that he's not a hard worker. It doesn't mean that he's not a good trainer. But did we see from Mikel Arteta that he isn't going to take players sort of crossing that line on or off the field in the way that he handled mm. Matteo Guendouzi? And so do you think if this was something that was in the pipeline, it'd be a disaster sort of waiting to happen? I would really worry about him in, in the dressing room um, just because of... Yeah, as you say, we're not really sure what goes on behind the scenes. I'm, I'm sure he is a great trainer, but he's that sort of character that, that plays on the edge. And when you've already got Granite Xhaka in your team, who, um, as we heard a, a few weeks ago, is not bothered if he picks up yellow cards and red cards. Um, when you've got him in behind and then Richarlison up front, who is prone to a to a card or two or three or four or five, um, 
it's going to be a bad mix. You don't want to put yourself in a situation where you've got loads of hot-headed players um, that are, you know, happy to sort of dive into challenges and, and be a bit reckless because they do play on the edge. I think, you know, you're putting yourself at a bit of a disadvantage. And then it's about the character. And I'm not sure the character is a right fit. You, you mentioned that earlier, like how important has it been to have characters in the team that are all singing from the same hymn sheet? And how hard has Arteta worked to get out those characters that, that haven't quite fit? Even even Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who we can clearly see is such a great talent and he's got all the ability in the world, he's, he's not really had a chance um and he's been constantly in and out of the team and there's there's been rumblings of of stuff going on in the background and trainings and and, and disagreements and all of that so i think if if he's getting rid of players like that it doesn't really make sense to to bring in one that has a lot of question marks over um and i just think if you're sort of comparing him to to jesus and if you had to pick between the two i think he'd he'd be a much better option for me jesus yeah, I think you're right on that. Um, but just to kind of play devil's advocate a little bit hmm. on the whole Richarlison thing, if you look at his sort of age profile, 24 years old, I think that that is around about the the sweet spot for me. Players that have had ample experience to be able to be expected to perform at a, a relatively high level week in, week out, but also who have potential to improve and potential to be sold on. Because let's let's make no bones about it. That is part of Arsenal's thinking now when they're going into the transfer mm. market. It's why they're happy, it seems, to spend big on the likes of Ben White and people like that because they, um, you know, uh, Aaron Ramsdale, two players who they probably paid a little bit over the odds for in terms of what we thought they were worth at the time uh, because they knew that they, if they needed to, they'd be able to recuperate that money later down the line. So he's 24 years old, Richarlison. He's got 34 senior caps for Brazil. He scored 13 goals, which is a pretty decent return, better than one in three. Um, 25 appearances in the Premier League this season, seven goals, which isn't amazing, uh, four assists. So that's uh, 11 direct goal contributions. But as you mentioned about the whole cards thing, um, he, he's picked up a lot of cards. He's picked up eight cards this season, uh, Richarlison, and it just feels like... It's a striker as, as well. A yeah, striker. exactly. He's a, he's a forward, but what's interesting, though, is that they're yellow cards, but he doesn't pick up second yellow cards and therefore red cards. He's one of those that seems to understand at least, at the very least, when his sort of, where the threshold ends. As to he has he done in the past, though, Harry. He has... Um, I've, I've I've not got the stats in front of me, but I'm, I can remember him getting sent off quite a few times in in the Premier League. Let's have a look. He, Let's, um... He's just he, he is just one of them players that you know is a hothead, and you know you see him putting in challenges, and you know it sort of seems like he does he doesn't really care if he gets yeah, the ball been, or not. He's been sent off twice in the Premier League, once in the eighteen nineteen season and once last season. So yeah, he has okay. got history for it yeah that's that that's less than i remember but for a forward i mean you shouldn't really be putting yourself in situations where you're sent off it's not a position where you need to make a tackle or you need to foul someone so for me that's massively unnecessary um there's there's a lot of people actually talking about tammy abraham and i i was banging the the tammy abraham drum a long time ago um and last season especially because it looked like he was leaving chelsea and look what he's gone on to do at Roma. He's been absolutely brilliant. I think he's he's breaking records over there, isn't he? Uh, and I think if that option came up again, he would trump Gabriel Jesus for me. I just think he is exactly what what, what we need. 
if you're talking about someone you want a presence in in the box, that's him. If you're talking about someone who's a who's a goal scorer, I think that's him as well. Maybe he's not quite got the sort of dribbling ability to, to go past players, but in terms of link-up play, I'm sure he could sharpen up on that as well. For me, Tammy Abraham just seems like the sort of perfect guy. Obviously, it, it's unrealistic because I don't think he's going to leave Roma. He's only just gone there. And But if he did ever harbour ambitions of, of coming back to the Premier League, maybe showing Chelsea what they missed, I'm not sure he would join Arsenal, but I mean, for me, he'd be a top, top player to bring in. It's a hard one for me with Tammy Abraham because I think he ticks a lot of my boxes. But um, as you said, he's just recently signed for Roma last summer. Um, there's some people saying in the chat that, you know, Chelsea would never sell him to us. He doesn't belong to Chelsea anymore. He joined Roma on a permanent deal for around about £36 million, which was around about €40 million Euros at the time. So that is a permanent deal. So you'd have to prize him away from Roma. But I just think, you know, this is not the Premier. This is not the Premier League we're talking about. You know, a club like Roma go and spend that type of money. They're not gonna let that player go for anything on the sort of cheap side. They they will want basically all of it. Um, Tom says Chelsea can match any bid. Um, yeah, but you wouldn't expect Chelsea to go back for a player that they signed for thirty four. Uh, sorry, that they just sold for thirty four uh, million pounds. I know they've got history in. Um, letting a couple of players go at a, a really young age and then sort of bringing them back. But I, I don't see it. I think that his his story with Chelsea is done, um, if I'm honest. But just to look at his record in Italian football this season, uh, in the Serie A, he's played 33 times, scoring 15 goals and providing four assists, so 19 direct goal contributions in 33 games. That's pretty good. But I'll give you a little interesting stat here, Mike. Mm. He's also picked up nine yellow cards so he's played more games than Richarlison and picked up more yellow cards would that be something that that concerns you I'm gonna sound a hypocrite if I say if I say no now (laughs) Um, yeah I mean look I I guess Italian football is slightly different and you know I'm I'm guessing a lot of those would have been or a few of those would have been in the derbies where it's very like high intensity but for me, like Tammy, just seems like a bit more of a, a bit more of a robust player, and yeah, people. Someone mentioned in the in the chat, yeah, he's you know he's touch or he's technique. I I agree, mate. That's not his strong point. But if you're looking at, at someone to offer something different to what we have right now, I think he offers you a little bit of that of that pace and behind. But he offers you the the sort of build up play he's a bit of a like a hybrid striker for me he's not really like a a target man and he's not really like a a player that plays off the shoulder he's a bit of bit of everything isn't he so yeah I mean if that deal could get done I'd take him but maybe Arteta is looking at someone who is a bit more technically gifted and I think Jesus falls into that category maybe he wants someone who can play in a multitude of positions just say if we let Nicola Pepe go because I saw a story yesterday. Uh, in the Sun, saying that you know Arsenal are willing, they're going to look at maybe selling Pepe. They'd accept something like twenty-five to thirty million. So if he goes, then you might need someone to be a bit, you know, who can play on the right wing as well. And we've obviously seen Jesus do that. So maybe Arteta wants someone that that's a bit flexible. Here's what I would say as well about somebody like like Tammy Abraham, and and I guess. A good comparison is is somebody like Romelu Lukaku. Now, 
I'm not taking away from Romelu Lukaku what he did in Italy because he had a really, really good time under Antonio Conte and he was instrumental in the success that Inter had during that period. But what kind of tends to happen, I think, is that we look at a lot of Premier League players and in particular strikers and we say, we watch them here and we go, I'm not really sure that their game is sophisticated enough. I'm not really sure that their movement's clever enough, smart enough, uh, sharp enough, all of those things. Um, And then they go to the Serie A and what happens is their physical attributes, i.e. pace, strength, stamina, which in the Premier League don't appear as sort of outstanding because the, the, the standard of the rest of the league is higher, are then sort of lauded. And we, we're looking at those players and we're going, well, this guy's unplayable in the Serie A. It was the case with Lukaku. And when he came back, you looked at Lukaku and you went, well, OK, we know you're powerful. We know you're big. We know you're strong. But we also know that the centre-halves in the Premier League are bigger, more powerful, stronger. And all of a sudden, that advantage that you have from a physical standpoint is no longer as as sort of um, decisive, I guess, in how you go out there and perform. So I think we might be seeing a little bit of that with Tammy Abraham as well, in that going to the Serie A, he looks outstanding because as an athlete, he is so much better than the, the general standard there. But when he was in the Premier League, there were a lot of questions about him, weren't there, Mike? Yeah, that's true. And that, that's a fair point. I think... With with Lukaku, it's slightly different because, you know, we saw when he first came to Chelsea, um, as in th- this season when he first started, he he started really well. And then I think it all sort of went downhill for him after the after the interview with Sky Italia. And he said, you know, I, I want to return to, to Milan one day while, while still in my prime. And that obviously took a turn. But he's such a striker that needs the arm around the shoulder. Like he needs someone like, like a Jose Mourinho to really galvanize him and obviously like what Antonio Conte did with him at Inter I think as well Chelsea's tactical game has sort of evolved from from him and obviously they play better when they've got someone like Kai Havertz who's a bit more technical um but I I yeah I do I do actually agree with your point I think players that play in in Serie A who are a bit more like focused on on their physical game do obviously look better and because in, in the Premier League, like you're going up against Virgil van Dijk, you're going up against Ruben Diaz. And if you're not going up against them, you're going to get going up against someone like Ben Mee, who's going to give you an, a difficult time. He's not going to make it easy for you. Serie A doesn't quite have that sort of fast-paced intensity that, that the Premier League does. Um, but I just think with with Tammy, what, what he offers is just something so different. I don't look at loads of strikers out there and, you know, who have got that sort of big build, but or also Premier well, Premier League proven, obviously, but players that that can offer both the the running in behind and that that sort of uh, hold up play. And you're looking at players like Darwin Nunes and and Vlavic, who are sort of similar, but then again, they're playing in in leagues that that, that are weaker. Obviously, Serie A with Vlavic and and the Portuguese league with uh, with Nunes. So at least with with Tammy, even though he's not you know smashed it in the premier league he's got experience playing in there and knows what it's like and i think at chelsea harry he was a bit unlucky he never really got the chance did he it's like they almost didn't believe in him to to sort of lead the line because he had some good moments but there was times when when like olivier giroud was the number one striker ahead of him and giroud was like and he's you know 32 33 so i think he sort of needs that 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 galvanization and he needs that arm around the shoulder as well and if he was to come to 
Arsenal, obviously he'd be the number one striker. And I think that that could help him to sort of really move on. Because we've seen with, with Arsenal right now, like signing players like, like Aaron Ramsdale, he's not really had his chance, but he's been criticised a lot. Same with Tammy. Ben White as well, people would would shock that we paid 50 million for him. But I think what these players have done, they've they've come with a point to prove and that always helps. Yeah, it does, of course. And and sometimes you go away and, and you develop and you learn and you come back a better player and a stronger player and, and perhaps better equipped to then deal with the challenges that the Premier League poses. Um, I just want to quickly touch on Victor Osimhen because there's been some stories and some rumours and reports that Arsenal have, have made some inquiries about the Napoli striker. He's someone I feel quite similarly about. So I don't really want to repeat sort of what I just said, but he feels like someone to me whose athleticism gets him into a place in the Serie A where he's outstanding. And that's not to say he's not a good striker technically. It would be disingenuous of me to ignore what else he brings to the table. But my question over him is, can he translate that into the Premier League, that same level of sort of output? But also... As I've said before to, to people that listen to this show on a regular basis, Aurelio De Laurentiis is not going to accept the cut price deal for this guy. And it feels like you're going to have to pay in excess of 65, 70 million pounds to get him out of there. In which case, aren't we better off going out and bringing in a couple of strikers, maybe one of yeah. them being Gabriel Jesus and bolstering our squad a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, Osimhen at 70 plus or Gabriel plus another player, a midfielder, a right-back, left-back, whatever it is they want. That just seems like such a better deal for me. And I know what you mean about Osimhen. I, I, like, I have watched him play a few times and he does just absolutely rip it up in Serie A. So whether he'd be able to to translate that, I don't know. And obviously at 70 million plus, that's a huge risk. So I think the club will be thinking, why would we take that risk on a player that's, you know, obviously not proven in, you know, in the Premier League? Why would you not just go sign someone that that has done it, been there, done it, and played under a manager who plays a, a similar style to the one we've got now? It it sort of doesn't make sense to me, and I don't think it will make sense to to the club either. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, we're going to take some of your questions um, in a little bit. Uh, so start getting them in the chat box uh, and we're going to take as many of those as we possibly can. We've got a few from Twitter as well uh, that we're going to go over to as well. So make sure uh, you are contributing, make sure you're getting involved. Uh, someone said in the chat, um, why don't you read my chat? I haven't read a lot of people's chats, mate. It's not personal. The chat box is constantly updating and it's hard to keep across uh, the show and the flow of the show without missing some of the chat. Uh, so it's not uh, that you're being ignored, I can tell you. Uh, please do, if you haven't already, hit that like button because there are over 300 of you with us live right now and we've only got 66 likes on the board, which isn't acceptable. We need to be at least over the 100 mark and that should be light work. So smash the like button if you haven't done so already. Please do subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're new as well because uh, we are still crawling towards that 20K mark. I think before we started, we are around about 170 subscribers away, and I'd love to get there ASAP. So please do subscribe to the channel if you're new. Right, get your questions in. We're going to take a short pause. We're going to discuss the future of a current Arsenal player just briefly, and then we're going to dive straight into your questions. Okay, let's do it. William Saliba, Mike, is being linked with a move away again. 
there was a report that came out yesterday which claimed that Arsenal would consider uh, a sizable bid for the player because of the fact that Mikel Arteta is very set and very big on the idea of Gabriel and Ben White being his starting central defensive pair moving forward. Mm. you got to think about this as well, that obviously he's he's quite happy to keep Rog holding in and around the setup. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what his future holds. But at the moment, it seems like Arteta's quite content as having him as a backup and that he himself is quite mm. content with that as well. The other thing is, if we go out and bring in a right back, does Mikel Arteta see Tommy Asu as a centre-back option as well? And perhaps that is on his mind when thinking about William Saliba's future. Now, I'm not defending it because I know there's a lot of Arsenal fans that will, will be against that, will be against the idea of Mikel Arteta sort of giving up on William Saliba. But it isn't really looking that positive, is it, with regards to him sort of coming back and making an impact and slotting into the squad? No, it's not because he's been here already and he didn't play. He literally was here for about, what, six months before he went out on loan again. Wasn't even registered and to play. Wasn't which... registered, yeah. I mean, does, doesn't that tell you all you need to know? When that happened, Arteta was saying he didn't have the season of development that he would have hoped. I think he was referencing that Saliba picked up an injury and and missed quite a lot of that season on loan with uh, Saint-Étienne when he went back there for a season um, and didn't have that development, didn't have that experience of, of playing first-team football because, don't forget, before we signed him, he hadn't played a lot of first-team football at all. He was very fresh um, and that's the reason we, we obviously loaned him back. But then when he came back, he didn't have that experience, um, wasn't quite ready to, to be chucked into at the deep end. A lot of people will, will disagree with that decision and, and say, you know, he could have at least played in the cup. I would have liked to see that. I would have liked to see him ahead of someone like Rob Holding, who we know what his level is. Uh, ahead of someone like Pablo Mari, we know he's not going to go on to be a regular Arsenal player. Probably another one that, that's going to leave this summer as well. Um, so what, so the fact we've got Saliba on our book still, he's impressing in, in, in Liga. He's got a call up to France, to the, to, the, to the national team. I know that was only because Benjamin Pavard was, was injured, but nonetheless, he's got two caps for France, which is, you know, no mean feat. It's, you know, one of the best international teams in, in the world, and he's got two caps for them. So I think it would be silly of us not to bring him back assess him in, in pre-season and, and give him a bit of a go. The fact we've got him on our books, we've already paid for him. We've already been paying his wages for the last three seasons uh, to, to have him here. To waste all of that money and wages and not even give him a go, I think will be a massive mistake. Even if he does play back up, we're going to have European football next season. So he will get you know a fair amount of games. And then you just assess him and decide what to do. Okay, but... Think about it this way. He is, and and again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here for the, the purpose of the debate because I would actually quite like to see him come back and be given a go. But mm. think about it this way. We paid £27 million for the player to sign him from um, Marseille. Uh, I beg your pardon, St Etienne. That was the rumoured fee that we paid for him, £27 million. He's 21 years old and he's obviously got a lot of room to grow and a lot of room to develop. But his current Arsenal contract expires in June 2024, right? So we're in the 2021-22 season now. By the time we get to the end of next season, it'll be um, 
the the 22-23 season. If he does come back and it doesn't work out and he doesn't force his way into the reckoning, doesn't force his way into contention, and if he does, as a squad player, isn't happy with that role himself, by keeping him on, are we missing the opportunity to recuperate the money that we spent on him? Because if rumours are to be believed, there are clubs circling, there are clubs looking at him that would be quite happy to pay 20, 25 million pounds, which is close to what we paid for him. So Mm. do Arsenal see this as an opportunity to recuperate money that they believe was a mistake that spending, you know, they believe that that spend was a mistake. If they didn't, he would have still been at the club. He would have been playing football for the club. He wouldn't have been loaned out three times now. And, you know, and us be in this place where we are now and while we're talking about this. So there's a part of me that thinks that although I'd like to see him get given a go, that the club have already written this guy off, that Mikel Arteta has already assessed him, that Edu's already assessed him. And mm. they have said, you know, maybe to the hierarchy that if we can get the money in for him, let's do it and let's move him out. Because there were mistakes made in the past, clearly, which is why we are where we are. It's why you brought us in. And this was one of them. So let's cut our losses and try and get back as much of that money as we can. And obviously, with his contract sort of running the way it is, if he was to stay another season and it doesn't work out, then his value diminishes further, doesn't it? So right now, while the iron's hot, while he's playing at Marseille Mm. and, and getting those France caps, as you mentioned, is this not, and again, I'm playing devil's advocate, is this not an opportunity for Arsenal to rectify the fact that they overpaid for a defender that hasn't played for us in three years? I mean, it all depends on what and what his attitude is, I think. If he's going to come back and say to Mikel Arteta, I want to be a starting centre-back, sell him right now, because he's obviously not going to be that. If he's happy to to come in, to come back to Arsenal and really fight for his place and and push uh, Gabriel and, and Ben White, I'd say let, let him come back. And it, it all depends on that. And Unfortunately, we don't really know what his state of mind is, what what he wants, um, and that's up for the for the club to assess. But I just think that you'd be missing a trick if you don't bring him back in in preseason and at least assess, talk to him, and 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 see what what's going to happen. Because you could be left in this in a situation where easily he he leaves, he gets picked up by a, by a decent club, and then goes on to be a be a world beater. And then we'll be sitting there, you know, kicking ourselves and thinking, why didn't we at least just just give him a chance? Maybe his attitude wasn't right in the past, Harry, and maybe that's why Arteta didn't play him. Obviously, we're not privy to that information. But you know, he's been on loan for for a whole season. He's played well. He's he's had a he's had a call up to the France squad. Like he'll be in in a confident mood. And for me, my only thing, my only you know, focus is is us and what will benefit us. So if we've got a player who's got loads of potential that can potentially push Ben White and Gabriel and make them even better, then I don't see why you don't do that. But if you've got a player who wants to who wants to walk back into the team and say, look, I'm here, I'm your big money signing um and and basically play every game, I don't think you can do that. And I would say in that situation, then then you'd be you'd be right to sell. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And I and I do wonder as well if, um, and again, I don't know this, and again, I'm sort of being a, a little bit cheeky in terms of 
jumping between the lines of what's sort of a theory and what's actual truth. But is there a chance that Arsenal and Mikel Arteta and Edu are using or, or no, what's the right term here? Overemphasizing how much of a mistake that deal was and the deal to sign Nicolas Pepe, two deals that we know um, the the Cronky sort of looked back on and had reviewed as to why we sort of spent the kind of money we did. Is there a chance that they are overplaying how big a mistakes those deals were from a financial standpoint in order to sort of highlight to KSE that this is why we are where we are. This is why we need you to invest. This is why we need you to trust us. Is there a chance that William Saliba is being used as a bit of a pawn here um, mm. to try and get their way when it comes to investment? Yeah, not just that, but but to compare him to to the successes, because I think that last window was so make or break. Like I don't think I can emphasize it enough that how you know how much that window was ridiculed by everyone. Um, you know, signing players twenty three and under uh, for for big fees and spending the most out of any Premier League club when when you know up in Manchester they'd paid you know, money for Cristiano Ronaldo, Jaden Sancho, players like that. It was a huge, huge risk. So the fact that it's paid off now, regardless of what people say, regardless of uh, the people that were cussing us in, in the comments last week, Harry, about, you know, why we trust in the process, there has been progress and there has been a, a character redevelopment at Arsenal. And Edu and Arteta will be able to point at that and, and say, look, this is a this is a genuine success story. This is what we've done. What Raul did, or or the people that were working with Raul Sanlehi, this is what they did. They signed players that probably were not quite up to standard, and and it's not worked out. So look at what they did, and look at what we did, and put faith in us. Maybe you're right. I don't know. It could be right, but I'm just looking at it at a very base level of you know we've got a very, you know player that that could go to a high level and I wouldn't be saying that if he hadn't have played for France if he was nowhere near the France team and wasn't being looked at I'd say all right well maybe he, he was overhyped but th- the fact that he's got plaudits playing for Marseille against the likes of Mbappe and Messi and Neymar and come out well that tells me there's a player in there so now it just comes down to to mentality and attitude the obviously the the number one risk is if he comes back and doesn't have the right attitude, we do not want another player that could potentially stink out the dressing room because we've tried so hard to, to, to get rid of that player and get rid of so many players that, that have done that. So it, it all just depends on that. But if he does come back, has the right has the right mind frame, I'd say just, just give him a go. Yeah. Let's see. It's going to be interesting to see how that one unfolds. The, the thing is, though, what I find really, really interesting is that if we do... Um, decide to move him on and we miss out on the Champions League, then everybody will look at it and go, oh, you know, even though that that decision would be taken after we qualify or not, it would be pinned on Mikel Arteta, wouldn't it, as as another error, as another mistake. But if we do qualify for the Champions League, there's not really anybody out there that can argue with the overall direction in which he's taken us because all of us agreed at the start of the season that that was the absolute maximum. And if you tell someone, you know, this is your maximum and they go and achieve it, there's not really much more you can ask for. And then it would be nitpicking uh, to sort of dig him out on sort of individual transfer decisions. So it's going to be interesting because there's a lot, there's like a Saliba cult in the Arsenal fan base, which I don't really understand. 
because he's yeah. never played a game for Arsenal, um, a competitive game anyway. So I don't really understand where all that comes from, but it's certainly a thing. Um, right, let's take some of your questions because we had a lot of questions uh, posted over on Twitter yesterday, which I'm going to delve into. And then we're going to take some from the chat. I've been favouriting uh, some of your questions from the chat, so I'll pick out a few of those uh, as well. Um, this one's from Guns and Yellow Ribbons. I just want to touch on this because um, he talks about the rise of the Ashburton Army, um, a little fan group who have popped up in the clock end and have done a really, really good job of helping the atmosphere. Um, he said three years ago, six lads had an idea and last weekend um, they self-funded a TIFO uh, and received players, uh, sorry, received plaudits from some of the players. Uh, and they've done this all independently. Of course, Arsenal have been involved in sort of facilitating it. But we got to give those lads some credit. I, I think that they deserve it because at the beginning, when they, this whole thing first started, I remember a lot of people online sort of taking the piss out of them almost like, what is this? It's never going to catch on. But they have contributed significantly to the atmosphere in the clock. And isn't it refreshing to see a young group of supporters, Mike, sort of taking things that seriously and and really focusing on what's been a problem at Emirates Stadium for a long, long time, a lack of atmosphere. 100%, mate. And, you know, really making the Emirates a fortress because there, there was times under Emery where, you know, people were going to games and they really were just deflated from, from minute one when, when they saw what was happening on the pitch. And what that did was was just cause divisions within the fan base. And... Um, some of them divisions still exist, obviously. Um, online, it, it tends to be more. Um, but I feel like as a as a fan base right now, we we are more united than than we've ever been, or or we have been at least. And what was quite interesting for me, Harry, is that we got obviously I, I keep going back to this, but we were getting quite a lot of criticism in our in our um, podcast last week, um, and that was because you know people saying we we're being fake positive and and all of this stuff. But when we actually went to to the event, uh, great event, by the way, last week, um, set up by Sophie of the Highbury squad. A lot of the fans that, that we were speaking to, and obviously fans from from um, Chronicles of Aguna as well, like long-time listeners, uh, we met a guy called Trevor, who, you know, really, really top guy, really, really knowledgeable. And he, they were so, like, level-headed and, you know, trying to do what, what we're trying to do. And it's just so different to the to the toxic stuff that you see online. So it is interesting when you do actually meet people in person and when you meet people at the games, it's not as much rage and fury as you actually think. And it, it can seem online that it's this huge like group and everything you say is, is just going to be attacked. But when you speak to people one on one and you sort of understand their, their rationale, it, it it makes it better. So the the fact that that these fans are doing something to to bring them together to create that atmosphere to give our players you know a, a good environment to to thrive it is so important it is indeed it is indeed a big shout out to those guys uh, it wasn't really a question but it was something that i thought we needed to uh, chat about um what else have we got this is an interesting one because uh, cj pot on twitter said I would like to hear about the players we have on our books out on loan and who could make a positive impact on the squad next year, considering we're very likely to have additional fixtures in some sort of UEFA competition. I'm going to fire some names at you, Mike, of players that yeah. we do have out on loan um, and, and basically give me a yes or no as to whether you think that they have even a future 
at Arsenal Football Club because a lot of them I I don't believe do. Um, Lucas Torreira. No. Reese Nelson. No. We know that Matteo Genduzzi's not got a future at Arsenal. I think that one's clear. There's no point in even discussing that. Um, William Saliba, based on what we just said. Oh, I mean, I can't really give it a one-word answer because I, I would <laughs> like to, but in terms of do I see a future, probably not, no. Ainsley Maitland-Niles? No. Hector Bayerin? No. That's what I mean. Um, that that yeah. basically answers that question. I think that the players that we have got on loan, for the most part, are players that we couldn't sell. Yeah. It, it, that That's how I look at it, genuinely. Yeah. Like, I, that's not to say that they're all bad players, but it just means that, to me, that they're, they're sort of Arsenal futures are, are non-existent at the moment and we shouldn't really obsess about bringing them back. I think the fact that they're out on loan, as I say, means that Mikel Arteta didn't value them enough to keep them in the squad. Um, and we have seen him keep players against their will. Um because he felt it was the right thing to do at the time in the past. So to now let these players go at a time where you could say that the squad size was questionable, just suggests to me that there is just no way back for so many of those players. The the hope is, of course, that we can um, recuperate a bit of money um, from them. Um, what else have we got? Uh, I'm just going to pick one more from Twitter and then we're going to dive across uh, to the chat box here. Um True in it says, if we get Champions League, is Xhaka good enough? I mean, I, I don't really know what this guy has to do to to sort of keep the wolves <laughs> away on a weekly basis. He literally bossed the midfield at the weekend and then stepped up and scored an absolute banger to send the Emirates into wild celebrations and secure three points that up until that point, I didn't feel we were going to get. We were lucky that United missed the penalty. We gave them way too many chances. We gave them way too much control. I felt like we weren't aggressive enough in taking the game to them, considering how defensively fragile they've shown themselves to be. And Granit Xhaka stepped up with a real leadership moment for me with that goal. Why are we still talking about Granit Xhaka? I mean, I will slightly disagree with you, and I'm not going to go as far to say he's Do not it. good enough. Go for it. No, I'm just gonna. I'm just going to say that if we want to evolve as a team and we're going to be in the in the Champions League because that's what we're all well aim, aiming to be if we don't make it this season don't make it but next season will definitely be the target I think and he's shown this season Arteta wants to move to a 4-3-3 and Xhaka for me is not good enough as a number eight I think he'll be really good as a squad player um, if you want to change the system, be a bit more tactically flexible, go back to a 4 3 one He's perfect as that as that sort of second number six who can progress the ball. Um, but if we're talking about, you know, playing a number eight, someone who's going to get into the box, who's going to score, who's going to assist, who's going to be mobile, um, the perfect player for that role, we, well, I said a few weeks ago, it was Santi Cazorla. If you want someone like that, if you want a David Silva, a Bernardo Silva, that's not Xhaka. Xhaka can't do that. That's not to say that he's not going to play. I think he still will play an important role in the years to come. But I think we, if Arteta wants to go in that direction, we need an upgrade. <laughs> I love this from Clock in Seb. Lose a game, blame Xhaka. Late for work, blame Xhaka. Mrs. goes behind your back, blame Xhaka. Love it. 
it is it, no, look, it, it is a very much on. blame Jacker thing though isn't it like i'll be yeah, i'll be yeah. honest about that yeah it is but i agree with your point about him playing as a number eight i, I don't think that that really suits him I, I do think that we need someone who's a little bit more sort of i guess I guess made for that role. He's, he's a little bit more sort of suited to it. But I think that, as I've said before, I think the only reason we've got away with playing with the two eights, if you like, is because he has that ability to slot in alongside the other midfield player, if it's Thomas Partey, and give us that extra bit of protection when it's needed. I think the manager had to take responsibility, though, for that not really happening against Crystal Palace because I think he should have spotted that really early on in that game. I think he should have recognised... Yeah that they were swarming around Thomas Partey. He's, he wasn't on it that night. His passing sort of um, eluded him a little bit and he was struggling. And I think that having that bit of security next to him would have helped um, on that particular night. But yeah, I, I don't think he's... Um, I don't think he's um, he's the right man for that position in the long term. But I certainly wouldn't be in a rush to sort of kick him out of the club. Like, why can't we bring in another midfielder who can challenge granite Xhaka who can compete with him and Thomas Partey why does it need to be get him out and then bring someone in? I don't really get that um yeah that's that's the thing that I've really struggled with uh, we got a, a response to our Suvla question Mike that I do need mm. to bring up um where is it let me just find it it was from uh, our good friend it's not lamb Yorgos in Cyprus says um lamb Suvla in England is better in his opinion, but pork souvla is better in Cyprus. He says Cypriot lamb is better, and the British pork is shit. Basically, he's hit the nail on the head. Um, I Absolutely. think he says British pork sucks. I think he was trying to say British pork sucks. Yeah, Yorgos um, is, is spot on. hundred percent. I couldn't I couldn't sum it up better. When I go to to Cyprus, I pretty much exclusively eat lamb souvla. I mean, sorry, pork souvla, and it is always so much better. So I would I would hundred percent agree with that. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, it's all uh, it's all coming out. Um, what, what else have we we got? Another there was another Greek comment here somewhere that I've got to pick up that from Ivan Harry. Unrelated, but what are your thoughts on Skebasti? I moved to a Greek neighbourhood in Queens, New York last year and can't get enough. It is good stuff, man. It is really really good stuff. Um, I'm a big fan. Okay, let's take some of your questions uh, from the live chat over here. Non-meat, food, Greek culture-related questions. Uh, let's get back to the, to the football show, stuff. But... Yeah, exactly. Um, let's take uh, this super chat from Priyank. Priyank, thank you so, so much, mate, um, for your very kind donation to the channel. It's very, very much appreciated. He says, hi, Harry, what do you think of Gnabry as a striker? Only 26 with a lot of experience. I would like a swap between Pepe and him. Love the show. Now, there's been a bit of this chat, Mike, about mm. Serge Gnabry wanting out of Bayern Munich. Is he somebody that you'd take back with open arms? Because he's certainly developed, hasn't he, since going there? I think he'd be brilliant, but not as a striker. I don't see him as a as a striker. Um, I think he's so much better on the wing and being direct. And I just don't think he's got the sort of build and you know, sort of nous of, of how to back into into defenders and do that role. He, he could maybe play a bit of a false nine role, but as a, as an out-and-out striker, no, I don't think so. But 
yeah, I don't know. I always have reservations with with going back to players that that we've you know let go before. And I think would would he even want to come back? That's the important thing to think about. We obviously let him go at, at a period of, of his career when we didn't quite think that well, we didn't think he was good enough, and that, that's why we let him go. Then obviously he went to um, where was it? Word of Bremen, I think it was first before Bayern, and sort of was on his way up there. And Bayern picked him up. So I just think. Going back for players, does it ever work out? Like we we're talking about Chelsea earlier, does does it work out then going back for for Lukaku? Um, not really. So yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I I really liked Serge Gnabry when he first broke into the Arsenal team, um, and then obviously he went out on loan to West Brom. That didn't work out, and then he was off. Um, and he went back to Germany. He's one player that I look at and feel like we never gave enough of a chance to. But I also don't think that he necessarily took the chances that he was given in a lot of cases as well. And I think that's where you have to be fair in sort of assigning the blame as to why it didn't necessarily work out. Um, wonderful footballer, though. I'd welcome him back if the price was right, if the, the deal was right for Arsenal Football Club, even as a winger, because... Like when you think about the fact that Nicolas Pepe might be going, we still need a bit of depth in those positions, don't we? Particularly on the right-hand side where it's Bukayo Saka or nothing in, in Mikel Arteta's eyes. And I looked at Bukayo Saka a few times recently and thought this kid looks burnt the hell out. And, mm. um, and there were times last season where I felt the same. And we've got to be careful to protect him a little bit more. And perhaps Mikel would be more open to doing that if he felt that he had a deputy who could step in without it being a massive drop-off. So Serge Gnabry would certainly give you that at least. Um, just a quick one, guys. Uh, I know I've already said it, but if you haven't hit that like button, please do so because uh, we are just 25 likes away from hitting that 150 mark. So please do hit that like button now. There's over 400 of you watching. So there's no reason really why we shouldn't be at 200 likes, um, but we'll take 150 for now. Also, subscribe to the channel if you're new here on YouTube because... Um, we, as I say, are crawling towards that 20k mark that I really, really want to get to. I did say if I get there before the end of the season, I'll give away an extra um, Arsenal shirt. was going to give away one at the end of the season anyway, but I'll give away two uh, if we can get to 20k by the time the season is up, um, which will be good. And it will be a next season shirt, right? I'm not going to go and buy you on a discount last season shirt and, and send it out to you. None of that. You, you'll be able to pick when the new shirts come out, which one you want. And, uh, and we'll get that sent out to you, um, of course. Okay. Um, GB says, would you prefer Neves or Tielemans in the midfield? He says, based on this season, neither seem like an immediate substantial upgrade on Xhaka. So do you have a centre midfield signing in mind that would be that upgrade? So let's take this question in two parts. Neves or Tielemans? Um, I think Tielemans. I think he's obviously a bit younger as well. Um, and he's just got insane technical ability. Maybe not quite the sort of mobile player, but I think when you're that, you know, good technically, you can almost get away with it. Um, and yeah, I think he'd be a huge upgrade. I think he'd be great for the for the number eight position. He can score. Um, he's, he's great on set pieces. And I feel like he needs though, that sort of uh, environment with players like Martin Odegaard to really thrive. And just imagine having a creative midfielder other than Odegaard 
that can like thread like tight balls through can um can hit like long long range passes like successfully and play others through on goal it would take that creative burden away from Odegaard and really really open us up so out of the two um I would definitely go with Tielemans Neves I do like but I just think he's that he's that bit less mobile and that sort of worries me because if we're sort of looking at this 4-3-3 that we're going to move to um, I think Partey will be the number six, which he's shown that he can do really well if fit. And Neves, I think, is a number six as well. I don't really think he's a number eight. So why would you really bring someone in that that does that role? Uh, yeah, so yeah, out of the two, definitely Tielemans for me. I think it's totally dependent on, as you say, the system that we're going we're gonna to persist with. If you want to play, but, but this is again why I'd like to keep Granit Xhaka because then you can t- tweak it and change it, right? So in a tougher way game, let's say at Anfield, if you fancy playing a Partey and Chaka defensive midfield pivot, you can do that. Um, if you bring Neves in, he can be one of those players as well. And that gives you that added bit of stability and security. But in the games where you want to play the 4-3-3, then I think Tielemans is better suited to the left-sided role of that three with a bit more license to get forward. So I think it's... I think at this point, we shouldn't be sort of saying we need this type of player or we need the other. Now, obviously, it's not easy to to sign both of those in one summer. Perhaps the funds aren't there. I don't know. In which case, you've got to make a decision as to what's the priority system and pick the player that better suits that. But I like both of those players and I'd be quite happy to see either of them come in. If we could get both, that would be amazing because that would really bolster our options. And if we've got aspirations of getting back into the Champions League and then if we achieve that... We're going to need a lot more depth than we've got now. And um, yeah. and so, you know, we're going to add to, need to add a, a fair few players. Um, John Daly says, a lot of people said Arteta has no pulling power, but without his City links, do you think that if Arteta hadn't worked so well with Jesus, he'd even be considering coming to us? We kind of covered that, didn't we, Mike, in that we do feel that the Arteta influence here could be quite significant. Yeah, and... Just to answer John's question, yeah, I, I still think it, it would be a good prospect because he's at Man City now, but he's not their main striker and he's not even playing up front. He's, you know, most most of the time this season, he's played on the right wing. And when you're a player that's turning, that's just turned 25, you, you want to play week in, week out. Like the, he's entering the peak stages of his career. He doesn't have time to, to sit there on the bench. And he's won three Premier League titles already. He's not bothered about, staying at Man City and collecting more titles, but only playing, you know, starting about 10, 15 games a season. He wants to play week in, week out. So that is the draw of Arsenal. And the the draw of Arsenal right now is that it's, it's a young team, the youngest team in the Premier League. Um, you know, we, we play good football at times. We've got exciting players. We've got a young manager. We've got a, a fan base that's sort of coming round and, and uniting. And we're obviously on, on the upwards on the upwards curve, look at Man United, and like a year ago, if you'd have said, "Oh, would you would Jesus rather go to Man United or or Arsenal?" You'd say Man United, but now it's completely done a three sixty. So it's not just Arteta. I think overall we're becoming a much more desirable club for players. Um, as as you say, Harry, as well, it, it is for those sort of elite younger talents that are in like the nineteen twenty bracket. They might look at Arsenal and say, "This is the perfect transitional club." But yeah. for someone for, for someone like Jesus, I think this is his club. This could be the club where he really, you know, makes a name for himself and and wins stuff and helps a team that aren't, you know, blessed with 
a super, super rich owner that invests all of his money into it and, you know, have the chance to, to take that project to the next level. I think that's a big draw for a player. Yeah, it is indeed. <laughs> We're getting more Suvla comments. Uh, this one's from Charlie, who says, Lamb, Suvla, and Pork is also good. But it's harder to perfect Lamb all the way through middle neck. He's even giving you the cut uh, yeah. that you need if you're looking to uh, to replicate one of our barbecues. That's, um, that's what I was shout. alluding to earlier. Harder to per- perfect, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I learned that the hard way the other day, Harry. Because um, it would, yeah, I mean, some pieces were really good and succulent. And other pieces were just like cutting into leather, essentially. So, uh, yeah. But you, because, you need those Greek yeah. knives with the white handle. You know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every everyone's got them. You, you know that those. You know that people like who, who are not Greek are really like shocked, like to like how good they are. It's like yeah. they only have just just like the the butter knives to like for all their yeah. meals. And it's like, oh my, this is a revelation. <laughs> it's like we've always been used to it. It's such Cutting a small thing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, technology um i got a comment from panic monster who says harry you look like a hundred t heiko who's that well, i missed something here i don't know but i wouldn't google it if i was you it doesn't sound like a compliment i'm gonna google it he's 32 years of age oh my god leave it out jesus <laughs> i told you it wouldn't be complimentary mate i've not even seen it but he's about double my size I've got to share Wait, this. I'm gonna have to. Have, yeah, go on. Get it. Up. Let me um. Let me share it. Hold on. I mean, listen. Fair play to the guy. I'm not like. I don't know what he does. I don't know how good he is at what he does. I'm not aiming to be disrespectful to the guy, but this guy does not look like me. I'm sorry. Um, and I, let me share with the screen with you guys. Hold on. I want to see if you guys can see it. This is the guy. <laughs> I don't see it, but I don't see it. if you're listening like by you. the audio, you probably think, "What is he talking about?" But basically, it looks nothing like you. I apparently look like a guy called 100T Heiko. What does he even do? Is he a gamer? I'm assuming he's a gamer. Looking by his, uh, looking by his pictures, I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> never heard of him. No offense. Um, Don Juan uh, also chipping in on the discussion. Lamb or pork sauvage? The correct answer is both. Harry. Yep. Good point. Mm. Uh, good point. That's what I would say. Oh, Maxim says he's an esports star. There we go. Well, fair play to him. I'm sure he's very, very good at what he does, but he does not look like me. Anyway, um, I think, Mike, we're going to leave it there because we've been going for an hour and 15, which is um, way more than we normally go for. I've kept you for way longer than we normally do. Um, so thank you, as always, for your time. Let everybody know um how they can keep up to date with your excellent work where they can follow you etc etc yeah so just on the screen is uh is my twitter handle mike underscore savory and i've also set up an instagram page where i'm like posting various stuff um clips of like my work from other other shows and stuff like that and that's just mike underscore savory underscore so just added underscore to the end of savory and that's my insta handle as well but yeah Good stuff. Be sure to follow me at Harry Simu on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram as well at Harry underscore uh, Simu over on there. Make sure you're subscribed to this YouTube channel if you're not already so that we can uh, continue our push towards 20K. Hit the like button on the video if you haven't done so already. And if you're listening via audio, 
please do leave us a review. We've had a few more reviews coming in over the last few days, all positive ones, which is great. Um, but yeah, love to hear from you guys as well on the uh, podcast stores too. We'll be back very, very soon with more. Um, until next time, take care of yourselves and uh, stay safe. All the best. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.